All right. Well, today we're going to talk about the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God. Uh, we're talking about this because I, uh, this is the next portion of scripture that we're in, in in the book of Corinthians. If you've been following along, um, so I thought it'd be it'd be good to have a little fun at first um, and talk see about what crazy and foolish things Americans believe. You know, Americans like to boast about being some of the smartest in the world, but in some instances, maybe not so much. So here's some stats. One out of five Americans believe that the sun goes around the earth. One out of five. 45% of Americans believe in ghosts. One in four Americans don't know which country America gained independence from. One-third of American millennials believe that the earth is flat. It's a new thing now, right? 25 of Americans believe in horoscopes. 24% of Americans believe in reincarnation. 29% of Americans say that they have been in touch with the dead. And lastly, 7% of the people in the United States believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. People believe a lot of things, a lot of foolish things, right? <laughs> chocolate milk, just in case some of the 7% is in this room, does not come from brown cows, right? There you go. So um, last week, Pastor uh, left off with this slide, not that slide, the next slide, that one. Um, he's talking about from brokenness to wholeness, right? And... The only thing that can bring us from brokenness to wholeness is the power and the wisdom of God, right? That's it. Not our strength, not our wisdom, not our power, that's for sure. Um, Brittany and I have a coffee company called Identity, and uh, we try to present the best product we can. We have, to, we have to give the best cup of coffee someone's had, right? We've got to give the best product, give them the great experience, Great atmosphere, everything has to be great because we want them coming back, right? So, and likewise, we have to present the best that God has to offer to the world, right? The world has brokenness. The world has it. They don't need it from us. They need to see wholeness in us, right? They need to see our peace. We have peace, we have joy, we have strength, we have power, we have wisdom, we don't have to be broken. We don't have to be weak. We don't have to be downtrodden. We don't have to be the curmudgeons, the complainers, defensive and gossipy. They have all that, right? So the power and the wisdom of God transforms us to wholeness, right? So it kind of begs the question, if Christ is the power and the wisdom of God, which Paul gets into here, um, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it even mean to, that Christ is the power and Christ is the wisdom of God? So I would think of it this way. Christ's power in us transforms us, right? And his wisdom transforms our minds so that we can understand even the gospel. I was talking to someone. Brittany and I did a um, ministry event last night for... Uh, uh, it was a fundraiser for uh, a house of hope, which is a sort of a rescue home uh, for people in, in addictions and real bad situations. And a man came up to 
to us afterwards. And he said, you know, I'm really having a hard time understanding the Bible. I don't understand it. I wish it would just be plain. Why is it so confusing? And he said, I'm an intellectual type, and I need to know all, you know, I need to know answers. I need to all these, know all the answers. And he was coming at the Bible through man's wisdom, philosophically. Philosophically, what does this mean? Now, we don't turn that away. Obviously, Paul was dealing with a lot of this in Corinth. And, but we're going to see how Paul approaches that kind of attitude. But when you talk about the gospel and Jesus and the story of Jesus, it's pretty simple, really. Without understanding the condition of man, that we're fallen, that we're broken, and that we need salvation, it really is a little bit confusing, isn't it? It can be, and it can seem like foolishness. So let's read this. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the foolishness of the cross, Lord. It is power and it is wisdom to us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you bring revelation to our minds, our hearts, in the name of Jesus. So if uh, there's a Bible in front of you, if you'd like to turn, it's page 1011. I'm going to start reading now. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what was preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and, a, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are, be, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. It says, The Jews ask for a sign, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block to the Jews. So, there was a time when, G- when Jesus was in his ministry, he cleared the temple out, and the, and the Jewish ruling religious class said to him, hey, what are you, why don't you give us a sign that shows you have the authority to do these things? And he's, he kind of shot back at them and saying that no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. That like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth, three days, three nights, kind of giving them a little bit of a a hint at what's going to happen. He foretold his death and resurrection right there and then. Why didn't they see it? You know, it's almost as if Christ had this cloud around him. And if you wanted to know, you could enter that cloud. If you wanted to get close to Christ, you could. But you got close to Christ through humility and through an open heart. And those who are proud, who demanded a sign. You know, there are those today that demand things of God. If God were this, then let him do this. 
if God were real, then, you know, enter the fill in the blank. Pride keeps us distant, right? And God designed it this way. He designed it that way. So is this as if the Jews were kept behind this cloud? Now, when we say Jews, we think the, of the Jewish ruling class, the religious type. He was a stumbling block to the Jews. And so this word, I'm going to pull it up here, is called is uh, in the Greek called scandalon. That's the word for stumbling block. And it basically means a trigger of a trap. So if I have a, if you've seen those boxes with the stick, that's kind of what it is, right? The stick is the scandalon, right? That's the thing that you trip up and it actually it traps you, right? It's the trigger of a trap, the mechanism, closing a trap down on the unsuspecting victim. Figuratively an offense, putting a negative cause and effect relationship into motion. This is what... Uh, John Bevere calls the bait of Satan. Satan uses offenses to get us to become distant from God. And we can be offended with God. And some, some of us have come with preconceived notions, right? And these can be an offense. Like the Jews had a preconceived notion of what the Messiah would be. Messiah is not going to die on a cross. He's going to be a ruling king to free us from Rome and oppression. The Messiah is a king, not a not this rabbi who dies on a sinner's cross. He was an offense. That's an offensive even thing to even say. And so like the Jews, we can have preconceived notions. We can be offended at the Lord. You know, my, I had this friend who has his dad and his mom are so nice and so nice to us. And uh, I went to high school with him and I was pretty close with his family and one night we're partying with his dad, and uh, his father said to me, because, you know, I believed in God. I had gone to, you know, Catholic school, and I had this sort of belief in God. I guess he knew that, and it bothered him. He didn't. And he said, uh, why do you believe in God? And I said, well, I told him the story that I've told here many times <clears throat> about when I was in the fourth grade, and I was afraid because I had just went into a new school, and I was staying with my mom, and I was just woke up with a lot of fear. And that day at school, the teacher taught us, if you're ever afraid, just say, Jesus, be with me now. So I did again, again, again. And I felt the presence of Jesus, and I felt that presence of God. But when I got to the part of the story when I said, so I just kept saying, Jesus, be with me now. Jesus, be with me now. Jesus, be with me He goes, shut up! Why? And he's like, you got such a big mouth. And he got all mad with me. And I was like, oh, geez. He'd never been like that with me before. He's always so nice. What was it about? You know what? That was a witness to me. I said, wait a minute. There's something about this. I put that in my back pocket. Why was he offended? Well, later I put it together that he had gone to Catholic school. And when he was a kid, the Catholic nuns would would be violent with him. And they would hit him with rulers and make him do crazy things. And he probably at some point in, in all of that said, you know what, if that's God, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's God, I'm out. He was offended. He was offended. 
and he was offended at the name of Jesus. And so me saying, Jesus be with me now, Jesus be with me now, it just irritated him. And a lot of us have stumbling blocks in our lives. Maybe it's not that, but, you know, it can also sound like this. If God is all loving, then why did my mother have to die? We put preconceived notions on it, on the Lord. If God is good, then why is there evil in the world? If God is so good, then why do innocent people suffer? It can also sound like this beauty. If God is so strong, can he make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? How wise people think they are, right? You know, many times people will say, the Bible is full of errors. Ah, it's written by man. It's full of errors. Is it? Where are they? What they typically would think of errors are variations. And you don't really get good answers out of that because really these folks are not studied typically. But they found something and they said, oh, God isn't real because of that. And they keep that thing in their pocket. Anytime God comes up, they pull that thing out. That's their offense. That's the thing that's kept them trapped and held back. So the position that Paul is in and the position that you and I are in are to help people out of these traps. It's not through man's wisdom that he's found. So it said, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Foolishness to the Greeks. Now, Greeks were big on philosophy, as we know, and uh, there was a time when um, Paul was in Athens, and Corinth is pretty close to Athens. It's about an hour's drive if you drive fast. Paul drove pretty quick, so he'd probably get there. Um, yeah, so if you remember in our study in Acts, Paul being in Athens, he was waiting on Timothy, and as he was waiting, he was seeing all these shrines and altars and things to foreign gods and all these Greek gods. And then there was this one shrine to an unknown god. And he was kind of having like a Malox moment. like this is... So at some point he gets before these, some people in Athens and he's teaching and then he gets in front of what's called the Areopagus uh, in Athens. And so this was sort of like a political uh, class. It says that they did nothing all day but listen to the latest thing. And nothing better to do. Just listen to, hey, what do you think? All right. And then just different ideas, and they would sort of pontificate on different ideas and all that. So Paul finds himself in front of this Areopagus. And it's also a place, um, it's an outcropping of rocks in, in Greece, called the Areopagus. And here Paul stands before them, and he says to them, you know, I noticed that you guys are pretty religious and that there is a shrine to an unknown God. And then, you know, even some of your own prophets says, in him we live and move and have our being. He's quoting from a, one, of their, one of their philosophers, Epimendes. And this guy had a little backstory. There's a reason why Paul brings him in. Because at the Areopagus, Epimendes did something. There was a story that... The Greeks had some sort of pestilence going through, some sort of ancient COVID-19 or something. And uh, the queen sought help from Epimendes, and they shipped him in. And he brought these sheep, these black and white sheep, and he let them loose on the Areopagus. And he said, wherever they lie down, build shrines, build little temples. And so they did. And 
the story goes that, you know, Athens was cleansed of this pestilence. So here Paul stands before the Areopagus and he says, I noticed that you put these shrines up to an unknown God. I'm here to tell you who he is. I'm his messenger. He uses there, he uses this touch point with them. They believed this. Okay, let's rock with that. Let's go with that. All right. He's not unknown. He's known. He can be known. Right? And Paul uses what they understood to bring about the wisdom of God. Right? And I I love this. I mean, the fact that he would stand up there and kind of be so bold um, and, and bring up one of their philosophers who really, that's kind of foolish, isn't it? Like, you're just going to let some sheep run around and then they're going to lie down and then you're going to build a shrine and then you're going to say, oh, this unknown God cleansed yourself. Like, okay, which is more foolish, <laughs> right? So Christ is foolishness to the Greeks because in all reality, the, the cross looks like weakness. To a Greek, Zeus would never get on a cross. He's Zeus. He's powerful. He's strong. Right? So this sounds crazy to them. And foolishness is basically a lack of good sense or judgment. Right? There's a lot of this going around the world. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In the same way the gospel sounded foolishness to some... It's interesting that Paul would use the phrase to those that are perishing. You know, one of the hardest thing in our Christian witness is to help people understand that that we are needing a savior. That there's a sinful condition that we have. Without understanding that, it's really hard to help people understand the need for a savior. Like if you don't believe that you're sick, you don't need a cure. If I just give you a cure, you're like that's good, I don't need it. Right? It's one of the hardest things. So it sounds like foolishness. Why am I going to believe this book that was written thousands of years ago? Why not just believe the Iliad or the Odyssey or something? Same sort of thing, you know, just some sort of history book. It sounds like foolishness. But some would say, you know, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I dealt with a lot of that. My early Christian walk, I would, my family, that's sort of where they're, they come from. I'm a good person. I don't rob banks. That's you know, Jonathan. That's good for you. Good that you needed that. You were a mess. Get it? We're good. We're good people, right? It's foolishness. I don't need it. God is for weak people. The church is for weak people. It's a crutch. You know, I had this friend. That friend. That friend whose dad yelled at me. Uh, I had a long talk with him one night. We took a walk and sort of talked through after I came to Christ. And he had a lot of questions, and he was sort of upset that I became a Christian. Told me later he hated me when I became a Christian. But he and I talked and talked and talked, and I said, look, man, I'm trying to, like, get you to this, like, treasure that I found. You know, it's like, listen to what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm not trying to argue with you. I don't want to get into debates with you. I'm just trying to help you see where the gold is. And he goes, well, I think it's fool's gold. Yeah, all right. He'd say to me, I think that church has brainwashed you. And I said, well, maybe I needed a good brainwashing. I did. And I watched him in his life have a lot of trouble. It's interesting that his family called me 
when he was in trouble. He got put into a, an institution because he got violent. And I went to go see him, and in this sort of intervention that we had, his, it came out. He said, you know, man, I hated you. I hated you when you became a Christian. It's like, no, you didn't hate me. You hated the Lord. I represented him. I didn't do anything to you to hate me. I just switched teams. They came to me because they thought I could help because they saw a change in my life. And that's really why. He broke in communication with me for months until then. But it wasn't so foolish when, you know, you're in trouble. In Proverbs, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Have you been leaning on your own understanding? Trust in the Lord, and lean not, it says, on your own understanding, and he will direct your ways. This is the path to wisdom. Please the Lord. To make it this way. So many hold themselves back. With their preconceived notions. And even in this room. We could have like. Because I don't have all the answers. I'm holding myself back. And maybe. If you'd be honest with yourself. Maybe you're angry with God over something. Because you're leaning on your own understanding. It takes faith to trust And to give him your heart in all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust takes faith. So we must settle in our hearts that we will never have all the answers. But we'll always trust and always acknowledge him. It says the world did not know God through wisdom. He will not be found out through philosophy, through just your own, ide- you know, your own ideation. He's leveled the playing field. Christ has come and leveled the playing field. He says, the sick need a doctor, not the healthy. I've come for the sick. I've come for those that understand that they need salvation. If you feel like you're good... You're all set, as they say up here. I'm all set. I'm all set. What does that even mean? I'm all set. I'm good. You're not going to find him with that attitude. Because he resists the proud. So in American universities, science has become somewhat of a religion. right? They have prophets like Charles Darwin and Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking and Richard Dawkins and all these guys who are so profound that they figured it all out, but yet they have no answers when it comes to things like where did it all come from? How, is, how do we have intelligence? Why does music make you feel a certain way? Why do you go to a, it, you don't even have to have words connected to it. You can go to a, a, a symphony and feel a certain way. There's no explanation for this stuff. They make absolute statements like, this is definitely not a God. 
as if they've been everywhere. They believe in theories like the Big Bang, like all the stuff from everywhere got together, collected in some small, something so small it was like the size of a period, spun around and blew up. And now we have intelligence. And God is foolish. <laughs> Their own science will tell them that when you see a grouping of data together, there must be intelligent design behind that. Look at a computer. Look at a book. Look at a watch. All these will obviously tell you somebody designed this. There must be a watchmaker. Fits my wrist just the way it should. Tells me the time. It would be crazy to think that this just came about by random chance. <clears throat> look at this. <clears throat> look at a book. What if I told you I just took all those words, just threw them up in the air, and they came down and made this book? You'd think that's crazy. And you'd be right. But yet, <clears throat> when it comes to the design of the universe, that's what they would believe. Random chance. Just some sort of ad hoc, here we are, just add billions and billions of years, you'll get it. It's like the magical formula is like millions or billions of years. Foolishness. Yet, God, yet you introduce intelligent design. Bah! That's ridiculous. That's ancient thinking. The world did not know God through wisdom. The world didn't know God through wisdom. Because God designed it this way. God will not be found through man's wisdom, through man's pride. This is how he created it. Salvation and the wisdom and the power of God is only and will only ever be found through Christ. I appreciate that. Praise the Lord. The cross is the power of God to us who are being saved. Amen? The cross is the power of God to us who are being saved. We've experienced it. We've experienced the power of God. So it's not foolishness to me. I couldn't change my heart. I couldn't change my mind. I tried. I tried. I remember listening to a self-help tape. I don't know where I got this thing, but I got a self-help tape at one point. And uh, the guy, I remember, I was a little high, a lot high. And I, and I remember, oh, I got to change my life. And so I put this tape on, and the guy sounded like, he had a corduroy suit on or something. Sounded very corduroy. And I lied there and I was like crying because he was talking about being a good person. You know, people will like you if you're a good person and blah, 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 you know, all that kind of thing. And I thought, I don't know how to change my life. I don't know how to be like that. I'm not a good person. I know who I was. My friends knew who I was. I was not a good person. And I just got so bothered because I had no answers. I didn't know how to become one. How do you become a good person? How do you just be that way? I'd be faking it. I started thinking about my death. If I died and the priest were to like say nice things at my funeral, he wouldn't be right. He'd be lying. I wasn't a good person. I knew it. But I didn't know how to change it. I didn't know how to change myself. It's only through the power and the wisdom of Christ. And I'm telling you, I've tried so many different ways to change my life. And it wasn't going to happen. Not on my own. It was only through the transformation and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's it. And he deserves all the glory. 
says it pleased God to save those who believe through the foolishness that was preached. Paul being a little sassy. Through the foolishness of the cross. Paul goes on from here to say, For consider your calling, brothers. Many of you are not wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Jesus took 12 JV blue-collar dudes and changed the world. Why didn't he use the Pharisees? Why didn't he go to the religious class? Why didn't he go to those who had studied and learned and knew the word? No, he took some fishermen and some tax collectors. He said, you'll do. Something about them, though. Thought long and hard about this. Something about them. It wasn't just... Uh, Something about these disciples that got Jesus' attention, right? He liked Peter's forthrightness. He liked his energy. He liked his passion, right? He liked John's insightfulness and thoughtfulness. If you read the book of John, it's, it's all tying Jesus to God. In such a deep and profound way. He was a deep thinker. And he was intimate. The one who Jesus loved is what he called himself. Of course, he wrote the book. Right? There's something about these guys, though. Matthew, a tax collector, willing to just be hated. Because everybody hated this guy. Everybody hated tax collectors. Still do. (laughs) Right? He was willing to put himself out there and be hated. I like that. They had something in them that he liked. You know, sometimes when we come to Christ, we think that, you know, <clears throat> everything about me is terrible. And now everything is everything, everything, everything is new. Well, you are also made in the image of God. And he doesn't hate that. He wants to, re- he wants to take that and use that. There's something in you that he wants to use. Something about you. That he likes. He loves, in fact. Maybe you have a gift of hospitality. Maybe, maybe your personality, maybe you get a little, little, little sass in your speech. Maybe you're a little funny. He likes that. He likes your, your joy. He likes your, he likes your intellect. He likes the fact that you want to know things. What is it about you that he wants to bring out? power of God in us we're being saved so I'm going to leave off with this in Matthew chapter 11 it says this at that time Jesus said I praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise what God hid the gospel 
Think about that for a minute. Why? People say all the time, like, if, why didn't God just make it easy? Why didn't he just make it plain? Why didn't he just show up now? Why didn't he just, like, you know, every day there's the cross in, in the sky, and he's like, come to me if you want to be saved. Why did he hide? Why is he, hidden? Why is he hiding these things? It's interesting. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. What is an infant? What are some characteristics of an infant? Helpless. Dependent. Who said it? Yes. Well, that's, uh, I don't want to be helpless. I don't want to be, I'm not helpless. I'm sorry. Are you? Can you breathe your next breath on your own power? Can you make your heart beat? No, you're helpless. We're all helpless. We're all floating through the ether, helpless, in need of a Savior. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is thanking the Father for hiding the things of the gospel. For hiding these mysteries. And what is it that he's hidden? That Christ came for the lowly and revealed it to infants. That's why he said, let the little children come to me. So such is the kingdom of heaven. Such is the kingdom of heaven. We have to become childlike. Not childish, there's a big difference. Childlike. Childlikeness. Just, they don't put up an argument all the time. There's a sense of naivete that, in a sense, is a, a good thing. You don't have to have it all figured out. A child doesn't need to have all the answers. They just know mommy and daddy says this, and that's the way it is. Okay. Such is the kingdom of heaven. There's a sense of faith and trust with that. A child trusts their parents. They've learned to trust. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke in the biblical days was, I guess still is, was a piece of wood that tied two animals or many animals together. So you wouldn't yoke a horse with a dog. They'd go around in circles. That's what it means to be unequally yoked, right? You'd like yoke a dog with a dog or a dog-like thing or a horse with a horse. So they could pull evenly. And also they could take the load together. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's easy. It's light. Give me your burdens. Come to me, he says. All you who are weary and burdened. Are any of you in this room weary? Any burdened here today? You know, you can come to Jesus and give them those cares and give them your burdens and give him your 
weariness, your tiredness. Give him your questions. You don't have to know all the answers. Lay it down. Stop fighting. Give him your preconceived notions. You don't have to have all the answers. No one does. Become like a child and receive him. Let him change you. Let him work on your heart and your mind. Let him give you his peace. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need rest today? I sure do. Do you need rest today? Just running. Just been running around. So hectic. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to read. You don't have time for your devotions. You don't have time for the Lord. You're just weary and tired. He can give you rest, peace that goes beyond any understanding that we have. Have you experienced that peace? Do you know that peace? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He commands peace. When he was his resurrected form, he would say, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He gives peace. We need it. I need it. I need peace. Father, I need peace today. And Lord, I pray for those here who need peace as well. Lord, we're burdened, distracted, weary, tired, broken. Father, give us your heart. We lay them down. We come to you. Weary and broken and burdened and bothered and tired. Tired and sick and tired of being tired. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. We need your peace, Lord. We need your peace, Father. So, Lord, now I pray, Lord, that you move on us. Holy Spirit, move upon us, on our hearts, on our minds. That we would sense your peace. That we would sense your rest. That you would grant rest, Lord. Father, we rebuke busyness. And the devourer that would just keep us so focused on the wrong thing. So weary for answers. Direction. Lord, some here in life, they're just so bothered because they don't have answers. And it keeps them up at night. They're rattled with worry. And Lord, give them your peace. May they have your peace. Give them rest from all of that. Help them to lay it down that so they would know. I don't have to worry about this. You care for my soul, Lord. And so I don't have to worry about all this stuff. If you're going to care for the birds and the flowers and everything else around me, and they don't have to work so hard and be riddled with worry and fear, then neither do I. So, Father, put that sense of ease and rest and peace on our hearts today. Holy Spirit, remove fear. Whatever it is, whatever form it comes in, Lord, we rebuke fear in the name of Jesus in this place. Perfect love has nothing to do with fear. 
Father, may we know the perfect love of the Lord. 